Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! It's the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. Race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past week in race. Again, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, got a got a full slate of panelists with here uh, with me tonight. I've got Seth Eggert, I've got Christopher DeHardy, and as usual, I've got Luis Torres and Richard Uden. Guys, how are we all doing tonight? Doing good. Very good thing so you. far. Mm, Twenty six has been okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> So uh, so let's lead off with um, the NASCAR, the cup race at Talladega. It's uh, Denny Hamlin was the winner, uh, but uh, things as they transpired in the race there and, and, and throughout the race that uh, it went so long it actually got bumped off a network and moved over to NBCSN. Um, there's a lot of folks are talking, a lot of folks are not happy, but uh, uh, fellas, I'm going to let you have at it. Let's uh, try to digest this, and um, whoever wants to start, jump right on in. The race well, I know, was weird. And, and I know, uh, I, I have a feeling the Hardy will disagree with me on this, but the yellow line rule is a necessary evil. All right, so let's let's uh, let's go ahead and start by breaking down what happened, okay? Okay, so you had a lot of hard, aggressive blocks from uh, Matthew Bandetto, Eric Jones, William Byron, and Chris Buescher. Ultimately, in turns three and four, it looked as if the four of them were going to crash. Denny Hamlin came in with such a head of steam that he dived onto the apron to avoid hitting them, passing Eric Jones and Busher in the process below the WL line, got back on track, continued on, crossed the line in a photo finish with DiBandetto and Eric Jones, However, NASCAR deems DiBandetto had forced uh, William Byron below the line, penalizing him to the tail end of the lead lap. They initially penalized Chase Elliott for passing below the L line. However, upon review, they found that Busher forced him down there, so they penalized Busher. And they missed John Hunter Nemechek flat out passing uh, Brennan Poole below the WL line coming to the checker. Uh, no penalties for Denny Hamlin. No penalties for Denny Hamlin or John Hunter Nemechek. Right. Well, the Denny Hamlin is the one that's got everybody up in arms. So, yeah. uh, all right. So, Louise, what's your take on this? Uh, where were we? Where could we start with this ordeal? First and foremost, the fa- I think 
it was great that NASCAR took eventually time to look at the replays carefully and get a fake Chase Elliott and Henrik Motorsports for that, because otherwise if they didn't protest, we would have seen Elliott and Busher spots the complete opposite of what ultimately ended up. At this rate, when it comes to the white flag, I get it, all bets are off, but when you have all this nonsense, this mess of a race that was the very end, and all the people trying to avoid what's warranted a block, what's not warranted a block, it's getting really out of hand. And it seems like back in the day, even before, when we had the yellow light, the early 2000s, they were very mindful. They were using their heads all throughout. Yeah, you'll have your big ones in the middle of the race or sometimes at the end, but as of late, whether it's the implementations of stage racing, which they've been better about it now, that where we see all those big wrecks at the very end, except for this one, it started from lap one. I don't know what is going on. And I mentioned, I might have mentioned this here once back in the day. I, I don't know if it's a generational thing where they just have to be very aggressive or just doing these aggressive blocks has been a lot better over time where you can get away with it, it unscathed. It's the package. It's not a generational thing. It's literally the uh, package that they are currently using in the cup cars. Because if it was a generational thing, we would have had the same wrecks and the same shenanigans in the Xfinity series and the truck series, which have younger drivers. Okay, and that's what I'm sort of getting at when I say with maybe, maybe with these cars, they can pull all these daring blocks a lot easier. Sure, at the end, or if they get too close, they have piling in. But I, it's just odd how certain things worked back then and certain things just it doesn't register to be quite well now that we see all this mm, tomfoolery where we have to figure out who's finished what what's a it's left me confused that's why i said well, it's it's a completely weird race all around because like what is this well yeah and well to your point right you, you're a guy who follows and covers racing very closely right and if you're confused right what does the average fan or perhaps a new fan yeah. who's not watching a lot of racing think? They, they're totally lost. And, and Richard, I want to throw this one to you uh, because I, I feel strongly that the overtime rules and the green-white checker lends itself to chaos, particularly at a place like Talladega. Um, I mean, how many restarts do we have? We ended up going almost, what, 520 Great. miles? 520 <laughs> miles in this race? 532 to... miles. Yeah, just just to, to get the finishing right, and these uh, you know that's what uh, somebody had to uh, compare that to the Indy 500, and they said, okay, you see, this is why we don't do that in IndyCar because it's you know wreck after wreck after wreck. Yeah. Um, but but Richard, I mean, there, there's so much urgency with uh, with the chase uh, and, and yeah. the spots available, and you know stage points, and um, then we're just going to go restart after restart uh, until there's a winner. I mean, is in my mind that just causes the chaos. What What are your thoughts? It does cause chaos, but what we're we talking about, we're talking about it. That's what NASCAR wants. NASCAR wants it to be a, you know, the old water cooler discussion at Monday morning where the guys like, hey, do you watch the race? Like, oh yeah, to see the record. Yeah, you know, that's what they want people to talk about. You know, people don't talk about on a, you know, the day after a Dover race or a Kansas race or a, you know, whatever. Oh yeah, did you see that? You know, Blaney won by 16 seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah, good race. You know, they don't talk about that. They talk about the wrecks. They talk about the big accidents. And the super speedways encourage that um, mentality from the drivers. I don't know if it's the mentality from the drivers. They 
you know, they know what they've got to get it done and they have an opportunity and the margin for error is so much, or the, the reward is so much greater at a super speedway because one good move can gain you three or four spots in the last 10 feet. Um, you know, it's going to create this aggression and this sort of shoulders out. But I think one thing that I would want to comment on that NASCAR have to be careful with is... And thankfully, we only do this four times a year. But the expense involved here, you know, you've probably lost four or five chassis in that race. And, you know, the, the structural integrity of a chassis is such that you can't, like, slap a bit of Bondo on it and off it goes, well, you know. Although next year, they're probably going, is it next year, the year after? It, um, uh, it was originally going to be next year. Now it's going to be next-gen car. So they are because of COVID, it's now yeah, uh, so 2022. You know, run these cars next year, and some teams are going to have to build new super speedway cars. And I saw one team was running like a 16-year-old chassis or something. Uh, there, you know, there were two teams that were running chassis that were one was 13 years old and one was 16 years old. Uh, yeah. Uh, Go Fast Racing. Yeah. Uh, Corey LaJoy was running one that David Reagan finished 15th with at Dover in 2008. It's interesting. Uh, it's a Dover chassis. It's interesting. It, it must have been modified and, to make it a super speedway chassis then, because they are and, different. And uh, Carl Long's team, uh, the team that Timmy Hill drove for, the 66, was using Michael Waltrip Racing chassis 121, which my understanding would be from 2007. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to look at this a little bit. You know, the, the, you know some of the smaller teams, you know, the, the amount of damage that gets done and you know, how this is going to hit their budget, it's not insignificant. And especially at the time when the sport's struggling to attract new teams and it's losing more teams than it's bringing in, you've, you've got to question this mentality. And, you know, it's not, you know, a Hendrick or a, or a Gibbs or a Penske or something like that. You know, it's an accepted part of racing and they will gain enough prize money to you know counteract that cost of uh, rebuilding a chassis but uh, it's you know it is something that these guys need to consider um, it's, it's another not true the other the other thing to throw in there is think about the countless number of man hours it takes to oh. repair repair and rebuild those cars when those guys could be working on you know development rather exactly. than just trying yeah. to, uh, you know, spend all their time um, trying try to yeah, reassemble. No, yeah, disassemble. And, and, and that's where, uh, that's where uh, you know, Hendrick, you know, I'm talking, you know, the big teams have the advantage is that they will have a R&D team. And, um, you know, some of the smaller teams, you know, everybody does the same thing. You know, everybody all chips in. I mean, was it the Xfinity race or the Cup race where one of the teams has one full-time employee and that's the crew chief? Uh, that Except is... That is the Cup Series. That's uh, Beard Motorsports or Beard Oil Racing, uh, depending on which one you're using. Is that Brendan using. gone? That's, that's Brendan gone, and they only run the yeah. Super Speedways. Uh, yeah. This weekend was is scheduled to be his last career huh. Cup race. Um, he had the big one in which Kurt Busch uh, yeah. rolled yeah. over. Well, didn't roll, but landed on top of uh, Cole Custer's car. Uh, he yeah. had that one avoided until. Uh, Kyle Busch slammed on the brakes to avoid hitting Kurt, and his brakes locked up due to the earlier accidents, and he spun into uh, yeah, Brendan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's nothing know. Brendan could do. Uh, whether or not – I know uh, people have been asking Brendan if he's going to run the 500 next year because apparently Beard still has one chassis left. <laughs> which... yeah, one car to wreck, huh? 
Well, the, <laughs> well, the thing is, one card of wreck. To be fair, one card of, as you say, one card of quote unquote wreck in the final year of that style of chassis. Yeah, you might as well go for it. And also, the the prize money and the rewards from the five hundred uh, are so high that it's like, well, if you're going to do one, that's the one to do. Yeah, because... Um, Go on, Richard. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, the the amount of money that that race draws in, um, you know, for some some of the small teams, you know, if a a small team who, you know, is doing a part-time or, you know, schedule there, they get a top 15 at the 500, that's them paid for for the season, you know. Um, So the rewards there, so, and this, you know, it goes back to the point, you know, the, the way these guys push, the way they um, you know, the, the opportunities they have, um, you know, at a super speedway, no other, you know, short track, mile and a half, road course, whatever, um, you know, no other place can you be coming off, you know, going into turn three and fifth and having a good chance of winning a race. You know, it doesn't work in any other, uh, the, any other circuit. So, you know, of course these guys are going to take risks and going to push the limit. And, uh, you know, you, you see what you've had, you know, you, you've seen it a number of times this year and, uh, it, uh, you know, you can tell it's bad when they're putting scuffed tires back on. Yeah, yeah but it is a out of money. Well, uh, I, I was going to say, going back to the money uh, discussion, I know f- uh, from people that I've talk, uh, spoken to, uh, Rick Ware Racing for the second Daytona race earlier this year, uh, they didn't actually buy um, many new tires. They bought two new sets of tires, eight tires, and they reused tires from Daytona 500 from earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, round r- round round super speedways, tire wear is minimal. minimal. It's and, really and not the, much of a big deal like it, I don't and like it used to be. The uh, biggest issue is on restarts. The biggest issue for a new tire to a scrub or a scuff tire is um is your restart. And you know, in no no disrespect to guys like that they're probably going to be sort of sitting in the back somewhere and actually having a slightly sh- slower start means you don't rear end the guy in the front of you who's also having a slow start. Um, so it, uh, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it hurts them all the time to, to be in that position. Yeah, going Certainly. back real quick about the money thing as, as far yeah. as beard, because that was, that left me wondering what is next for, for the 62 team because this is, it may very well be Brandon's last race. And with that one chassis, would they want to bring Brendan for one more 500 or they're willing to find somebody else? Because that's the thing. Well, this race team has not had that. has never been in that spot of finding a new driver. Well, or a choice. well, I know uh, based on what Brendan said at the media day back at, in February for the 500, that he was helping Mr. And Mrs. Beard, as he put it, uh, find a new driver that he was uh, essentially going to handpick the driver for them. Uh, so, Okay, I must have that, missed that bit on media day because I'm uh, somewhere else at that time period. Based Part. on, I, I understand. Uh, based on that, uh, I don't think Beard is going to have that big of an issue. It's whether or not they want to continue is the other thing because of how much of an investment the new car is going to be, at least at first. It's yeah. going to be cheaper in the long run. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. But then again, they don't really have to upgrade that much equipment since they've essentially lost all but one. All right, so guys, before we, you know, get get too wrapped up in, uh, you know, the <laughs> Brennan Gaughan's farewell tour, um, I want to talk to Chris. <laughs> I want to talk to Christopher uh, now. Christopher, you're a guy I've known several years, and you have an absolute passion for racing uh, that, that rivals, you know, most people I know. And, and you you uh, came away from this Talladega race with some some very very structured thoughts, and I don't want you to share those. Well, it's uh, it's it's definitely been interesting. First of all. Um, it shows that when it comes to running a uh, a big league race, uh, NASCAR still can stumble over themselves massively. So the one thing's fir- first things first. Uh, the finish of the race was not on NBC. Uh, the rest of the race was broadcast on NBC Network Television. But um, you know the race got taken off because it ran over its time window. Yeah, well, by over an hour. Exactly. So first of all. Um, what happened to noon start times? Uh, it's time they, to get back to going into that. It's, yeah, it's beyond um, ridiculous. They, they, started, they, they started at 2, which is earlier than they've actually started most of this season. So they – granted, I know what you're talking about. Uh, this year, I think they went with start times that the networks preferred because of, well, essentially COVID. And for the most part, there wasn't any other option – for sports so they kind of had their choice of when to start not that i'm saying that's right or wrong uh it's just it's a factor that has to be acknowledged all right so still that's absolutely you know ridiculous we're not running earlier in the afternoon especially when you count on the fact that talladega doesn't have lights secondly the yellow line rule um i'm starting to get to the realization that it needs to go um i've got those statistics right here the cautions if you look at all the cautions in the 10 years before the yellow line roll came in you've got a few races where there's no cautions at all you got one race where there's no cautions at all after the rule became implemented at talladega but in the last few years we've got you know 13 8 9 6 8 6 11 cautions in these races and you know, you, I'm looking at the like the mid 90s here. You've got you know two, two, six, five, zero, four, three, four, three, three, four, three. You know, it's it's frankly kind of ridiculous at this point. Exactly. So <laughs> and let's get to the to the the skinny of it where we get to the end of the race here. First of all, uh, Bubba Wallace got into the outside wall. Uh, it was falling back because uh, he had a flat tire. But at that exact moment, James Davison had a spin and caused a caution on lap 184 leading to the first overtime. 
the drivers made it around um, three quarters of a lap, just barely over three quarters of a lap. And then you had a one, two, three, four, five, six car accident on the front stretch right before the um, right white, before the white flag. flag. So, of course, we got to go, you know, again, caution, and then another five or six, you know, <clears throat> laps under yellow. And then, okay, we come around again, and then all of a sudden we've got a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine car accident in turn four when Bubba Wallace um, and I think it was Ryan Priest uh, get hey, tangled together Priest. there. Yeah, so when they get tangled together, these guys are supposed <laughs> to be, you know, they get tired of the best drivers in the world, and all of a sudden you can't make a single lap when you're coming down to the end of the race. Come on, give me a damn break here. And not only that, you know, everyone's pitching a fit. Oh, it's on NBCSN. It's not on NBC. Well, there's a reason for that. Get them to stop hitting each other. You're costing team owners a lot of money here. And for what? Because we've got to have a green flag finish. Everyone was pitching a fit about that, the Indy 500 this year, when you saw that they couldn't red flag the race and bring everybody down pit road to have the last lap under green. And it's because of crap like this that a lot of people are starting to realize that it's, it's not real. It's not good stuff. I mean, look at what happened to Ryan Newman at Daytona this year. It was a stupid, unnecessary accident brought about by this crazy notion that we have to have a green flag finish. We have to. Oh, my God. We need to finish under green. Stop this nonsense. Get rid of overtime. Get rid of the yellow line rule. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Stop it. You're causing the team owners a lot of unnecessary headaches by having to rebuild crashed cars, and you're causing a lot of headaches by having to be like, okay, did he go underneath the line? Was he he advancing his position or whatever? Get rid of it. It's unnecessary. It's it's bogus. Now, if I may, uh, the reason why the green-white checker was brought in uh, about – It was 04 when it was implemented in Cup. Yeah. it was basically brought in because of fan complaints. Now fans are complaining about these wrecks, about these wrecks costing And fans are complaining at Richmond that they had too much green flag running. Yeah. That's the only cost they had were running. So, were, so the hell with it. It's yeah. not worth and it. And Richmond was a good race, now, too. But it, if I may, ignoring the green-white checkered aspect right now, the O-line rule, like I said, is a necessary evil. Without it, you would have them going 12, 15 wide down the backstretch, trying to fit into turn three, which is maybe four to five wide at most, maybe six if they're prizes. And I'm pretty sure that would cause a worse wreck, uh, possibly, than I don't want to say what Newman went through, but worse wreck than what we saw this past weekend. Now, works for Phoenix, though, doesn't it? Yeah, but Phoenix are not in a giant pack uh, no, the entire time. Cool. And cool. and going back to uh, the cautions, the way uh, Chris was explaining, even though, yes, he had the restrictor plates back in the day, during the 90s, before the O-line rule, you also had a wide range in uh, competitiveness for the teams. So you didn't have teams – or just about anyone who could win week in, week out. There was there was still a hierarchy, so to speak. Now, the teams are so competitive. Granted, there are no restrictor plates now. It's just a tapered spacer. But they're so competitive now that you could have somebody like a Brennan Poole, a Quinn Hoff, a Timmy Hill pull off the unthinkable and win. Now, obviously, we didn't see that this past weekend. 
but up until be, they get wrecked, they, then their shots are gone. Well, they don't always get wrecked either. Sometimes they get shuffled out. Take the Xfinity race, for example. Uh, Josh Williams ran second for about five to ten laps. Michael Nett jumped down in front of him to lead the line, uh, jumbled up the order. Josh Williams ended up finishing seventh. He didn't get wrecked at all. Uh, it, he just uh, basically got the rug taken out from under him. Yeah, Still, and let me chime in on the Xfinity race real quick. Real quick. Another thing, when it comes, you mentioned this, Chris, a little bit, as far as stage racing and also the first wreck that led before coming to the white flag, they stopped the race. Let me say this. What's the need? Why do you want to warrant a stoppage where there's only like two laps to go in the end of a stage? For what? You want to guarantee a green flag finish for the stage for a measly two-car wreck involving Rush well, and Kobe Howard? It's like, you well, have stage race, you want to complete it. We don't... It, go the on. Reason, the reason why they did that is because they order they award the points at the end of the stage and the playoff point, which could be a factor for who makes the final round of the playoffs. That's why, and it's this isn't the first time they've done that. They, no, they've know, done it at other tracks. It's they've wasting it. time. You're not turning any laps. And then when people start to pitch a fit about the race being taken off at NBC, uh, hey, we wasted all this time under red flag with this. Then we had, you know, three accidents where it took us an hour to run the last 10 laps. It's ridiculous. Now, yeah, it really is. I, I no, I agree, Chris. I agree with you fully. I mean, this I've seen too many of these races where it takes forever to to end it. Can I can I throw an, a, throw an idea out here? Yes. Go for it. Very quickly. So going back to the yellow line, ooh, um, <laughs> I, I agree with the yellow line in the in the in the turns because you know if you try and go down below that yellow line in the curve, you can really unsettle the car, you know, going transition from banking to the apron, and that can, you know, cause real problems. You know, you, you see cars get, you know, spat back up the track and can hit the outside barrier head on and all this sort of stuff when they uh, venture down onto the uh, onto the apron there. But the big issue, uh, you know, at Talladega, as you mentioned, is that backstretch um, where you've got, you know, that huge... T- the huge uh, skid pad. On the instant. Now, apart from making it a gravel trap, yeah, 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 you know, black lakes as we used to call them. Uh, you know, you could turn it into a, uh, into a gravel trap, which I think would be a little bit excessive. But um, you know, it, it says an option. You have everybody says get rid of the line. Well, how do you have two lines? So like an orange line, where if you, you can, you're allowed to go down below the orange line to avoid contact, but not gain a position. And then you have the yellow line, where if you go below the yellow <clears> line. You've got to go to well, the back of the end of the longest line, or whatever it may be. Well, because based when, on, I'll let you finish. No, 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 because I just think then, you know, sometimes you've seen guys that, you know, it, the, when they're all jockeying for position and everything, sometimes people just, you know, and it's not intentional. What you want to try and avoid is somebody atten- intentionally going below the line to gain an advantage. So you give them a little bit of room and say, okay, you can go below this line, but you can't gain a position. You can come back into the pack. You can manage it yourself. And then you give them another line, which is maybe a one and a half, two cars width further down. That says, okay, well, if you hit this line, that's not an accident. You know, you're doing it deliberately. That's a penalty. You lose a lap or whatever it may be. Well, there's already a rule in place that, and essentially NASCAR set a precedent this past weekend with the Hamlin, that you can go below the O line to avoid an accident. And to a certain point, that's always been the case. I mean, 
Look at how many cars went below the yellow line when there they weren't wrecking in yeah, turn yeah, yeah. four, though. There was no wreck. I know, yeah. I know, I know. Carl Edwards against not... Ian, which that thing was been forced years later. Yeah, and uh, Regan Smith, for that matter. But that's besides the point at this point. Uh, essentially, what I'm trying to say is they already allow you to go down to avoid a wreck, regardless of whether you're actually wrecking or it's about to cause a wreck. Well, that's what, that's they, right. they ultimately didn't that. wreck in this case. Yeah, that's your excuse. And, 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 and what I was going to say is that would be the driver's excuse every yeah. time. Oh, whether, or not, whether or not NASCAR buys it is another story. Granted. I was going to say, granted, I don't, I don't agree with NASCAR giving the win to Denny Hamlin. I'm going to say that. But I do believe the O-line rule is a necessary evil. Both things can be true at the same time. Okay, Seth. You, well, you, put, you, you put that out there. So yeah, My yeah. gripe is, again, it's like, I understand that, why they, Seth, they want to implement something like that, on? but what? I've got to finish the race as fast as possible. Seth, how's that fence doing that you sat on? <laughs> Don't get any splinters, will you? <laughs> I'll, I'll just say this. Give it a, you, pr- quite frankly, at this point, the green-white checker rule is worn out its welcome, primarily because you can't see that in other forms of racing. I mean, could you imagine that Lamar? We're going to add 20 minutes to the 24 hours of Lamar just so we can get a green flag finish. It would never happen. Get rid of it. It's 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 Jeez. past time. Chris is just it, it is past time, yeah. I, I think, honestly, I think NASCAR races are too long right now. They really don't, yeah. you know, they, they need to. And I've been saying this for years, they need to shorten up these races. And they've done that some. They've, they've taken several 500s and yeah. cut them down winners to 400s. Winners record or range. You see, you know, we finally, when it comes to stoppages, yeah, how many red flags have we had? In my count, there's been 22. Back in the day, you at, at the very most, you have at least seven or eight. And the Talladega, red flags were not that common for a period of time. Now it's, like, become the norm every single year well, before the playoffs. Yeah, is, that, is that also got a safety standpoint? In yeah, there where yeah. One of that the, is true. They, they have damage depend- to the structural integrity of the track. Like we've seen in Formula 1 a little bit recently. Yeah, yeah um, one of, you know, they're, they're doing reasons. it so they're not spending 20 laps under a caution, um, you know, while they repair a barrier or a tech pro or a safer barrier or whatever it is. Um, so there's a little bit of give and take. I think you shouldn't be doing it for entertainment value to manipulate the result. But then also, you've got to give the fans value for money as well, yeah. you know, especially the guys that go to the track. You know, if you're going to, well, these guys, this is going to take 45 minutes to replace this barrier. So he's just gone smashing into it. The and smart a, thing to do is stop the point. race, do that. Uh, but there's a, ba- you know, I'm going to sound like Seth now. There's a balance to everything. And, uh, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't half the time, aren't you? No, nobody's going to be pleased with everything. Um, and, and, you know, we, we forget, you know, at the end of the day, NASCAR is an entertainment business. And their job there is to entertain. And I don't care what anybody says. The big, you know, why do people watch Talladega? For the big one. Even the, NASCAR even publicized as the big one. You know, they want to see the wrecks. And they know full well that a green-white checker is going to encourage the chances of having a big wreck. And that's what people watch it for. You know, I would almost guarantee you that more people know who had the, who was nearly killed at Daytona than who won the race. Almost guarantee most people on the street anyway. I'm not counting you, Seth. Um, but, but you know, most people aren't 
you know, the, the armchair fans, you know, the people that aren't us, basically, you know, we, it's very easy for us, I think, at times, for every, every form of sport that we talk about to realise that we're in the very small minority of the viewers of these sports, and the people that listen to these shows are also in the minority. You know, NASCAR wants the people that only watch the 500 a year or only watch three or four races a year. Oh, yeah, let's watch Tyler There's always a big wreck there. You know, they're not going to turn around and say, oh, let's watch Kings Glen because, you know, seeing those cars go through the S's is great fun. You know, we'd love it. Yeah, but, yeah, but at, at the end of the day, Richard, though, if you're talking, you know, what, what pleases the fan, I, you know, I, I've said again and again, I torture myself by reading social media comments. I can't find, you know, very many people that were pleased um, with uh, with uh, this particular race and the but, outcome. You know, then, then, of okay, course, yeah. then, then you get all the weird conspiracy theories that NASCAR wants to make sure Toyota wins because Toyota's paying them off and all this other oh, nonsense that comes out. And, and it's just, and it just, it just, it's stupid. But I, I believe that it undermines the integrity of the sport when number one you don't apply rules consistently and and, and number two these you know when when we're trying to finish the race it looks like damn amateur hour out there oh yeah but again so that's that's my piece to your point there nascar and this isn't being flippant or blunt they don't give two shits about the people that are writing stuff on facebook because those are the fans those are the hardcore fans that are going to watch no matter what you know Oh, I'm not going to watch a plate race again. Or yeah, of course you are. You know, don't. Give yeah, every, everybody says, "Oh, I'm done with NASCAR. Never exactly. watch again." I'm like, yeah, "Why are you still posting racing exactly. racing groups?" Exactly. Yeah, the same thing with so, pro you know, NASCAR. Don't like care the about thing. the NASCAR cares about the ninety percent of social, you know, uh, 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 of armchair fans, social fans who don't have a driver they cheer for, that don't have a team they cheer for. They'll just have it on in the background on a Sunday afternoon or whatever, and, oh, yeah, look at that. Wow, you know, that's who NASCAR wants to bring back to sport, not the diehard fans like ourselves and like the people that listen to the show and like the people on the Facebook and Twitter and all these forums. You know, those people are taken for granted, unfortunately. You know, NASCAR doesn't care about them. It cares about bringing new people in. It's got to because it's it's it, it's, it's lost a generation. Um, and that's not because of the racing. It's because most of them have died, unfortunately, or are too old to be involved in it really you've got families and i've got other things to do on a sunday afternoon certainly yeah especially for that length of time anyway so let's uh let's move on and talk about uh this preview of the roval and talk about the the playoff scenarios of who's in who's out but before we do that uh richard you you were telling me off the air uh about a uh, a dear friend and a and a uh a member of the sport who we lost so i want you to have a little time to uh talk about that yeah, I uh, I only had the uh, the privilege of working with um, a former crew chief called Eddie Lowry for three or four, uh, two or three years when I was at uh, RCI. Eddie was there. He'd uh, you know taken a step back from from travelling and was shot based, but uh, he'd been around the sport car as long as long as old as the hills. Uh, you know the I, I know he'd been at RCI. I know he was at Petty. He was at a number of other teams, and I think he crew chiefed. I think Seth was saying Xfinity uh, cars a number of years ago. And just a really, really good guy, you know. When I first came over, you know, this English kid coming over for, you know, to work in NASCAR sort of thing, you know, he's quite intimidating. So, and he, but he was, you know, he was great. He would uh, show you the ropes and uh, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, real, real loss, really. I, you know, I obviously I lost contact with him, you know, when I when I left RCR and only really got got back in contact with him a few weeks or a couple of months ago now. So it's. Uh, 
it's a real real shame um you know that sort of generation is dying away now um and there's not as many people in that sort of ilk within sport as there used to be and uh, yeah be a you know a real although he wasn't involved in the sport you know directly these days it's uh yeah it's a real loss and uh yeah i'm gonna miss him yeah well certainly our our our, our you know our hearts and uh, our thoughts go out to his uh, friends and family members so um you know rest in peace um with yeah La- lowry yeah eddie lowry yeah. eddie lowry <laughs> mm. yep so uh so we're off to the roval Roval's going to be an elimination round. You know, we know that we've got some guys out there that are pretty strong on on the road courses there. Uh, but uh, Seth, who do you uh, who do you believe is in real trouble here? And I mean, I mean, missing, uh, you know, getting eliminated trouble. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. Uh, he's never had any luck at the Roval, for one. For another. Uh, entering the Roval, he is 17, sorry, he is 21 points out right now, which, granted, even though that's only two stages worth of points right now, um, a, a bad day or even a mediocre day and he could be knocked out, and I've actually been saying this for a few weeks now, that I didn't believe that Kyle Busch was going to make it to uh, the championship for this year. And I actually think he might go winless for the first time in his career. Yes, he Are certainly you know, may. Yeah, he's... First round gets knocked out, he's going to win the following race, isn't he? If he gets knocked out this Pro- week, probably, yeah. Yeah, that, that, would be, yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be poetic he, justice, right? So, he, all right, so. That, and then he would say it's still 2020. Exactly. Still 2020, yep. So, uh, but we've got uh, so right now, Kurt Busch and Denny Hamlin are safe. They, they've uh, won the last two races. Uh, we've got a couple other guys that are well above the cut line. Um, Louise, who are those? They're doing pretty. That should be fine. Or Kevin Harvick for sure. And I, I haven't looked in a, in a fly minute uh, conscientiously. Harvick well, for sure is going to be in. Just a uh, stage success if you'll be fine. I think it's either Chase Elliott or Wikislowski. Uh, Chase Elliott is uh, 23 above Logano, who holds the cut line. He's 44 ahead of Dylan, who's the first driver out right now. Uh, Brad Kislowski is 20 above the cut line and is uh, 41 ahead of Dylan, the first driver out. I mean, I can see that nobody jumps in this week. I mean, I think that the points gap so big that I think the bottom four going into the weekend are probably going to be the bottom four coming out, aren't they? The, Unless somebody wins. That, Unless somebody but, wins, yeah. And it being the role void, the favorites are essentially Chase Elliott and Truex because they've yeah. been the dominant drivers on road courses uh, the past two or three years now. Although I will throw this uh, wrench into all this. Rain is in the forecast on Sunday, and they will race in the rain at the Roval. Now, have we ever have we ever had a points paying cup race in the rain? Points paying. Cup I know. I know we've had Xfinity points paying Xfinity races yeah. in the rain. We've I know Cup cars Cup cars raced in the rain in Japan in an exhibition years ago, but I don't. I don't think we've ever had a points paying cup not. race in the rain. Yeah, that would be twenty twenty ish, wouldn't it? Now, have they changed, <laughs> now, have they changed the rules on 
wet weather tyres because I remember a few years ago, if it started to rain, NASCAR would red flag the race, yeah, everybody would go into wets, and then you could choose when to go back onto slicks, but the call to go onto wets was uh, made by NASCAR. Nope, uh, the call is now left up to the crew chiefs. Good. Unless, unless the race is starting in the wet. Okay, uh, sure. Like Formula One race, yeah. Declare it a wet race. Yeah, they would either. Yeah, Formula One style, yeah. Or if it had rained earlier in the day, they might declare it damp, which would allow teams to choose whether they want to start on wet or dry tires. Now NASCAR doesn't. NASCAR doesn't have an intermediate, do they? No, no. they do not. Right. Yeah. I, I always thought I the inter- intermediate. Yeah, I, I always wanted to say that the intermediate tires were garbage anyway. No, they didn't work in the wet, and they didn't work in the dry. So, you know, from the sounds valid. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, guys, uh, we uh, I want to save some time and talk about the IndyCar doubleheader uh, at Indianapolis. So, uh, let's go ahead. We'll go around a table, pick a winner for the Roval. Christopher, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and, you know, just to save his butt, I'm gonna say Kyle Busch. There you go, Louise. Elliot. Seth. Correct. And Richard. De Benedetto. Oh, that would be nice. That would be poetic justice for him. I'm gonna go with Ryan Blaney, even though he's already out of the <laughs> out of the chase. I say he uh, he brings this one home. So so anyway, so IndyCar Harvest Grand Prix. Um, it seems that. October temperatures make the Indianapolis road course quite racy for the Indy cars. We saw yeah, a lot, a lot of action. Yeah, I mean, and, and the Indianapolis, uh, the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, as we've we've known in the past, the one in May has been, you know, some it's been, you know, sometimes kind of static, sometimes kind of boring, sometimes exciting. But we had two really exciting races to watch. You know, led by. Um, the excitement led by guys like uh, Colton Herta, um, uh, Award, uh, who, uh, Rinus VK. Rinus VK was phenomenal in race one. Uh, the winners coming out of the race were uh, both Penske drivers, Joseph Newgarden, race one, Will Power, race two. Scott Dixon had a very mediocre weekend, and he, he allowed his, uh, his uh, big points lead to be chiseled down to where uh, you know, Newgarden has a shot at winning this thing. The championship is now Dixon's to lose. Is, so. it, is St. Pete still a double points race? No, no. it is not. Good. It is not. Good. So now, Christopher, did you get a chance to go to the races? I know you live right there in uh, no, Indianapolis. No, I was actually working um, Thursday. I'm working on Friday and Saturday. Um, I, I did have the race on in the warehouse um, while I was working, and I was able to watch, you know, the vast majority of the race. Um, first of all, hats off to the, you know, we talk about what happened with the NASCAR race this past weekend. First of all, hats off to the IndyCar drivers for managing to go 160 laps caution free at the, at, at the road course at the yeah, Indianapolis sure. Motor Speedway. Um, that's a very difficult feat to do, uh, especially when you haven't uh, driven this course in this kind of weather since 2016, I want to say, when the, yeah, when, the, when the Indy Grand Prix was held in unbelievably frigid temperatures. I yeah, I remember, I remember that year well. My wife and I, were we, we sat up in the uh, Northwest Vista with blankets on us, yeah. Um, but no, it, I, it was very good. Um, 
First of all, hats off to Joseph Newgarden for finally getting his first win on the uh, IMS road course. Um, that's definitely a challenge to do, especially considering how much Scott Dixon has not dominated this year. But Will Power, I mean, it was it was like a, almost like a vintage Will Power performance in that he was it, it was just lights to well I can't say lights that's Formula One it was flag to flag just power <laughs> all the way but he kept Colton Herta you know behind him as the race wound down. Um, First of all, yeah, and, and Colton, Colton, and Colton and Rossi had a great battle between the two of them. If, if Colton behind Will Power, yeah. beforehand because of you know he dominated Laguna Seca, he got lucky at Coda. You know, keep Herta definitely. I think Herta definitely had his coming out party, and I would argue that Colton Herta's drive to second place in the second race is almost as impressive as any of his wins have been uh, so far. Um, the kids got the right stuff. Um, I'm happy that he did well. I'm happy for Rossi, you know, getting a podium there. It was it was great, um, but it was it was it was nice to see Power getting back to where he should be on top of the podium because you know this season hasn't necessarily been the kindest to him or Team Penske overall. And I think if I remember seeing that stat correctly, he tied Alan Senior for fifth best on the um, on the all time wins list too. Yes, and his, and his pole position was pole position number sixty-one, which only has him, I believe, six behind Mario for the for for the all-time. I believe so. Unless you ask Will, he'll say Surface Paradise 08. It's a nut, it's the plus one, but that's a long story. Yeah, it's a long story for another day. Yeah, but uh, but Chris, to your point, yeah, it looked like the willpower that from you know twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, where just on, on any given Sunday. He would just go out there and, and make mincemeat of the rest of the field, you know. Just when Will gets in a zone like that, he's absolutely unbeatable. He's one of the he's one of the finest drivers of his generation. I know he's been eclipsed by, you know, you know Dixon with the multiple championships and Franchitti with the multiple Indy 500 wins, but uh, you know if you don't if you don't appreciate what Will has done. Uh, in his time with Penske since 2009, you know you're you're missing the boat. This this guy is uh, when he gets when he gets in the zone, he teaches a clinic. So here's a question for you, and and I've been thinking this for a little while now. Do you think that you know obviously you can still you know put on a, a performance as we saw on Saturday, but do you think he's past his peak now? Do you think he's got another championship in him, or do you think he's gonna you know he's he's fading? I would argue very slight fade. Um, I think his peak was probably around 2014 to 2016, maybe 2017. But I think he's just starting on that slight decline. He's still damn good. He could could probably get you another top three in the championship. But I think for him to have another championship season like he had in 2014, he needs to have everything go right. And it's – it's and do you so think it may, maybe it doesn't help him that he doesn't have, you know, a, a Dario out there, you know, a, a number one rival, you know? No, he does. He, Scott Dixon. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. But it's a different dynamic, though, isn't that? But the interesting thing is, we've never seen a championship battle come down to Dixon and Power. That's as true, long as yeah. those guys have competed against one another, you know, because it was like three or four years in a row, it's from Kitty Power. You know, last yep. race of the season, pretty much. Yeah. Well, then, then it was, uh, yeah, Power Hunter Ray in 2012. Yeah. But it, I, but I think, I think, I don't think Will has faded so much as uh, the competition has stepped yeah. up. Well, that, that's also up and thing, 
Yeah, I mean, he's got, Will's got solid teammates in Joseph and Simon right there. You know, those are probably his, his two toughest. For next year. Two, yeah, yeah, two, those are his two toughest competitors. So I, I don't, I, I hate to think that Will has faded. Yeah, his, he's, he's had some dumb luck, right? Yep. He's, uh, yeah. he doesn't win quite as often as he used to, but he's still, when he gets in his own, I, I, I think he's, uh, I think he can win another championship, but again, I think the competition is stiffer than it was when he was, uh, and, and even even then the competition was uh, pretty stiff. He only, you know, he lost three championships in really tight battles and finally won the one. So, you know. It, it, it doesn't change the fact that if you if you build a Mount Rushmore of IndyCar drivers in the last 20 years, he's one of the four you instantly put up there oh, with, yeah. um, with Scott Dixon and probably Dario. Um, the fourth one is just up to up to discussion, but um, I guess I guess the last thing to think about is that you know Scott Dixon didn't have the best weekend. He lost quite a few points to Justin Newgarden, so he's got a all he got. He really just has his finish in the top half of the field, and he's got the title confirmed. So uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I think a finish. I believe a ninth place finish locks up the title for him. And my concern with Dix, and it's been going on for a while. I know it hasn't been the greatest weekend, but look, Mid-Ohio wasn't that great either. He's had a rough stretch. For by his standards, it's been rough because you had guys like the Andretti's and Will Power and Joseph Newgarden stepping up their game, whereas Dixon is just struggling to find that mojo that he has at the start the, at the start of the year. I don't know. If, I don't know what has happened. Seems like ever since he got outsmarted by Sato in the 500, something is just not been necessarily right with that nine-team. But it's, it's trying to gain maximum reward for minimal effort in many ways, isn't it? You know, it's, it's like, okay, what do we need to do to, you know, don't take risks, don't do anything stupid, just execute. And it'd be interesting to see, I think one of the things that could go against him, and I think this can only happen with Penske, is you know, they've got, in theory, Penske got three top cars, you know, uh, with, with, with um, New Garden Power and uh, Pagano. So I'd be interested to see if if New Garden can get out there at the front, if they don't use the other two guys to like back Dixon up into the pack a little bit. Uh, I don't think any other team could do that because they just don't have the strength and depth of drivers. But I think Penske will know that they'll have three drivers who are going to be there or thereabouts and they could potentially use the other two guys to help New Garden out there and, and you know put some strategy calls out there to to cover everything Dixon does and, and back him up a little bit. For sure, what they don't want to do is what happened five years ago when the last guy that led the championship every race up until the finale with Juan Pablo Montoya will oh, power yeah. got into it. They do not want that again because if Dixon hangs on and wins the championship, he did what Montoya didn't do, wire to wire the championship trail at the point yeah. at the start and never lost it. So that's also on the line. And I imagine it's going to go down to the bitter end. But Penske do not want – that's the last thing they should have to worry about. They probably learned a lesson, and I hope they – Newgarden goes into it like any other race, like he always says all the time, treat it like any other race and see pit stops and other circumstances dictate the outcome. So, yeah. A great run by, of course, you mentioned Alexander Rossi. Same with Power. It seems like once they finally got their mojo, they've been on a roll this year, as, as of late. Not this year, as of late. So that's been good to see. And as far as Pato making, after a rough race one, he turned that thing around in race number two. 
So that kind of shows you what he can do with adversity. And I think he and Colton, I would not be awfully surprised come next year they'll be as ever strong as they already been. Certainly. And what and what about what about Renus VK? He locks up the rookie of the year title just by starting the last race. Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, a pole, a pole on a podium. Uh, his first pole, first podium, uh, all in the same weekend. Uh, you know, with the Ed Carpenter team. He's not in a Penske. He's not in a McLaren. He's not in a Andretti car. He's with Ed Carpenter, uh, who's the team definitely has the potential to win. They've won races in the past, but they've been down for a couple of years. So, uh, I mean, you know, Renus is the the breath of fresh air that this team needs. You know, Spencer, Spencer was good there, but I think uh, Renus is better, and he, I think he's good for the team. His, his road to Andy Acumen speaks for itself. I mean, him and Oliver were at each other's throats the you know, last three years. Quite frankly, it's just a matter of, you know, people see the fact matters that people just need to see what this kid could actually do, and I think a lot of people might have underestimated him, quite frankly. Um, some people... You know, they're like, oh, who is this kid? We've never heard of him before. But, you know, those people just aren't paying attention. And I think this was probably his massive coming out party after the disappointment that he had over at um, over at Texas, you know, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And I think this is finally when people were able to say, hey, wow, this kid actually knows what he's doing. Absolutely. he's it's, Ever since Texas, he's just gotten better and better. But by far, even, even in July, he had a, a superb – Outing, but this, for sure, this week, this past week, he truly arrived in his in his absolute form, and that's another guy I think people should not sleep on. Like you mentioned about Herta, BK is another. Yeah, and I think him working for Ed only you know kind of elevates his game. Because if you look at Joseph Newgarden, right, he was pretty solid when he was driving with Sarah Fisher. Then when Sarah merged her team with Ed's and Ed Carpenter was in there. Joseph got so much better in in a hurry, real quick. So I mean, you know, say what you want about Ed, but I believe as a uh, a guy developing drivers and giving a driver good advice and um, helping with the setup, I think uh, you know that may be Ed's new calling. You know, be uh, be the next uh, Sam Schmidt. You know, developing young drivers. <laughs> I've so. got a very quick question. Go right quick ahead. Question. I haven't really thought about. It. I know we're short on time. But um, when. Um they run, you know, the, the, the red and the black tire. Are they the same compound throughout the season, or do they have specific red and blacks for specific races? Specific for certain races. So, well, first of all, circuit, not all street, first of all, not all street circuits are necessarily the same. Some of them are, you know, a little bit different here and there, but um, not all road courses are the same. They're not all built the same. You know that, um, yeah. Richard, after your years in Formula One. So yeah. certain road courses have certain tires built for them. Um, okay. Like the tires you see at Mid Ohio, chances are they're the same tires you would see at Barber Motorsports Park, yeah. but you probably would not see those tires at Road America. Like Pete or something like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Then you see a totally different tire at a Long Beach. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yep. No, but at the end of the day, since you mentioned tires, I mean, I always, I always got to hand it to Firestone for for just being a fantastic partner to the series. You know, you, you never, you know. Hear the the issues with with the wrong compound or, or this or you know you hear that a lot in NASCAR. NASCAR guys are quick quick to blame Goodyear. Yeah, Formula One is is, is quick to blame Pirelli. But uh, my gosh, Firestone really has their game together, and they have for a number of years. Fantastic partner for the series. So, and speaking of partners for the series, 
big announcement uh, this past week regarding future engine rules and um, continued contracts with both Honda and Chevrolet. And this is on the heels of Honda announcing that they're walking away from Formula One after next season. So uh, Christopher or Louise, I, I know both of you guys were um, paying close attention to the news conference. Um, let's weigh in on that a little bit. Go ahead, Chris. You can go start with that one. Um, well, first of all, we knew full well with the pandemic that we were going to have a delay in engine, uh, in engine, engines being updated. But it was good to see just after Honda announced that they were pulling out of Formula One that they um, that they've continued their commitment to IndyCar. Um, it's fantastic to see. But you know, I, I'm I'm still looking at this, you know empty-handed because we still don't have a third manufacturer involved yet um there's a lot of there's a lot of things i still want to see we still haven't seen yet um i mean I'm, I'm happy that they're back i'm happy that we have you know more horsepower coming in a couple in a few years but i'm, I'm still underwhelmed because we don't have a third manufacturer yet and we've been you know talking about this, you know, for so long, you know, who's, is it going to be Ferrari? Is it going to be so-and-so this and that? And it, it's, I, I'm, like I said, I'm happy that they're back, but I'm still waiting to see, you know, like, Hey, where's, you know, where's our, where's our other, where's our other OEM here? You know, we, we, we gotta, we gotta get this, you know, we gotta get this straightened out here now. Yeah. And well, I think the good news is both Honda and, uh, Chevrolet have both said they would welcome a third manufacturer and do all they can to help as well. So yeah, now Richard, that was my big takeaway from this whole deal is that they're willing to have they're willing to have competition because sometimes I know when manufacturers I think they're they're encouraged they want to have somebody to compete somebody to beat them. The more manufacturers come along, the I think the better it gives them more options. But who knows, maybe interest for other race teams. But like Chris said. We're still waiting on that, and I think once we get that, I think it's going to be more intriguing. Good to see Honda and Chevy sticking around, especially with them. Honda leaving Formula One. I think they might pour more dedication to IndyCar, which will certainly help them a lot in the long run and just the sports landscape. All right, now Richard, Honda leaving Formula One that mm-hmm. that leaves that leaves a significant hole to fill for the. Um, for the Red Bull team, so uh, what are you what are you hearing? And I've heard that Renault is maybe interested in uh, giving them an engine, or uh, do you think they're going a different route? Honda said they're they're free to develop the existing engine on their own. What do you think? It wouldn't surprise me if they go down that road. Now, obviously, I, I think when they were involved with Aston Martin, a lot more there was talks about going down a, a engine development route. Now, obviously, Aston Martin are setting up their own team and using Mercedes engine. That's gone by the wayside. Um, I know for a time there, Red Bull uh, employed um, Mario Illen from the uh, Ilmore group, Ilmore fame, uh, for a while there as an engine consultant when Red, Renault was struggling. Uh, you, you, it puts, you know, Red Bull have been massively backed into a corner, haven't they, with Honda leaving. Uh, you know, Mercedes is never going to provide them an engine. Ferrari are never going to provide them an engine. And, of course, Renault are just laughing their heads of, hey, that means you're going to have one of our engines. Remember how that ended? You know, so from a Red Bull standpoint, it's it's pretty, you know, uh, lesser of the three evils, isn't it? Um, well, it's, yeah, lesser evil than running without an engine. Yeah. 
but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Red Bull don't go down the road in development. I know they were looking at that quite seriously when uh, Renault were, were struggling and eventually pulled out. But uh, it's a shame. Uh, Honda have done this in the past. Um, you know, there's only so many times you can do this before you realise that you know, and you know, it's just not going to work. And I was, it's a shame really because I thought they were onto something. You know, obviously they had a lot of bad press. Yeah, it's it. For a, a match for anybody this year. Yeah, it's an absolute bummer that Honda's leaving again. I think, in my in my eyes, it seems like they were very spoiled the first round. Because remember when Honda came, when, when main recent memory, of course, relatively recent memory, mm-hmm. Honda came along with Williams and then McLaren, and look how they were instantaneously successful. And then they went away, and they came back with big yeah. expectations with VAR. That didn't work. Then Honda re-merges and then just have that bad rep, as you said. And now they just they just can't they can't get the job done as far as the rival Mercedes. It, it, it's a cultural thing, I think, um, with with Honda. You know, they're very uh, this is meant in a disparaging way. They're very Japanese. Um, I was part of the VAR team when when Honda initially bought into the team and then finally bought at them out in the end of 2005, going into the 2006 season. And, you know, the, the finances were there and the resources were there and the people were there. It was just they have this quintessentially Japanese way of working, which doesn't – I'm not saying it's not successful, and it certainly does work under certain circumstances. Um, you know, obviously you see that with the, the road cars, but something not quite right with how Honda works with, uh, in the racing world. Uh, especially in, in, in such a high-demand environment like Formula 1. Um, and, you know, it, again, it shows, you know, they, they'll just suddenly pull the plug at the drop of a hat. You know, we saw that in, in 08 going into 09 when the, the financial downturn, and now obviously with everything with COVID, they will pull the plug in a heartbeat, which is a shame because some really good people will be affected by this. But uh, hopefully it works, you know, affect Red Bull and Max, and they can still be competitive going forward in 2022. All right, so uh, on that note, we are out of time, so we'll just have to see, we'll have to see uh, what uh, the future holds for Red Bull. This is, again, you know, a, a bombshell for one of the top teams in Formula 1. But uh, we are out of time, so I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and um, Google Podcasts. I want to thank you, Louise, Christopher, Seth, and Richard. And I want to thank you folks that listen to us week in and week out. Until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.